Hello, 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 everyone. This is Saqib Ali, and we are back at Tennis with an Accent. You know, uh, it's a big week coming up on the men's tour, and we haven't done a podcast in, I think, more than four or five weeks. And uh, to break the silence, I have the perfect guest. It's a return guest, actually, uh, Damien Coast. It's an honor to share the space with him. Uh, he will help me get caught up to speed on what's going on with the tour, and then we'll talk about the Challenger Tour, and we'll talk about the next-gen final some of the names are soon going to become, you know, household tennis names. So on that note, uh, welcome to the show, Damien. It's been a while. Looking forward to our chat. Uh, yep, I think it's my third time here. And I'm, as you know, I'm always happy to uh, to come back here and talk tennis with you. Absolutely. And every time you've been here, you've added a lot of knowledge for me and hopefully the listeners too. So again, this is going to be a podcast with my goal is because right now the tournament is going on in Milan, the next gen in the Swedish uh, Stockholm tournament is going on if we keep it ATP centric this week. Uh, so the the points of conversation will be larger. If someone listens to this next week, they can still say, okay, I don't know the result or I know the result. So what, again, this is like the third or fourth year of the next gen finals. Do you like the format? Let's get going there. And uh, you think that's a good way of, uh, you know, introducing tennis to a new audience or you are happy for it to be just a one week thing and the main tour should not do the scoring you know system that's used here what is your take mm-hmm. with the scoring i i don't like it that much i'm i'm very traditional in that regard like i i wouldn't like the change i i believe the most of the arguments that the audience is too old is you know sort of not based on facts really like this it wasn't muratoglu i think said that the average tennis fan is like 62 or something which is definitely definitely not true. But anyhow, I, 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 I also see the problem of shorter attention span. I don't know if that's the way to fix it. But in general, the, the event, I'm super glad it's there. Uh, obviously, as a big fan of the lower circuits of tennis, I've been, I've been watching these guys for a long while. And I'm, I'm just very glad that they get their chance to shine just some of the spotlight that they're usually not not used to yet but they're they're, they're going to get it in a, in a while in a moment we've had some great winners some great participants over the years you know guys like Tsitsipas or, or Shapovalov have played this uh Cedar won it 2 years ago and they and they're really doing big things and I, maybe in in some way this could also be a a positive impact of the of the next gen finals just throw them into a uh, into an event with a lot of crowd, with a lot of people watching, and just get, give them that first experience, you know, in the in the, on the big stage. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think I'm also, of course, I'm a lot older than you, so I'm also not in the mood, or you know, if there was a vote, I will never vote for like changing the tennis scoring system. But yeah, overall, this tournament is a good way to showcase the younger talent, you know, who the next stars are, because it looks like we are soon approaching, you know. Uh, an era where there'll be, you know, a lot of good tennis players. And, you know, this conversation keeps getting better every time we look at the youth that's uh, that's in the ATP talent pool. Uh, so just keeping uh, that in mind, you know, some of the names that we discussed have already transitioned on the main tour. <clears throat> so what is your uh, meter when you look at a player on the challenger tour or if, of, of a young player like Alcaraz is making a big splash this year on the main tour? So, how do you, you know, what is your system of rating the success? Do you get on the bandwagon and say, okay, this guy is going to be huge or, you know, you've seen him play on the ITF and Challenger Tours, you said this is coming. So how do you, do you get excited when you see a player and do you go on Twitter and start announcing, okay, this is the next big thing? I mean, uh, what have you done and was there a moment for you this year with a player? I mean, yeah, def- definitely. Uh, watching challengers or ITFs, this is a huge part of of the experience. Just seeing a player for the very first time and somehow judging whether uh, whether he can be great in the future or not. I mean, with Alcaraz, it was always very clear. I feel like ever since he got these, uh, I did first points at fourteen, then. Uh, you know that then progressed, broke all the age records. Uh, it, it was just super clear. But it's it's way harder when there's a player who doesn't have many weapons. For example, from the next gen finals field, talking uh, talking of you know, Serundolo or or Baez, it's so much harder at first to you know to to see that in them. Uh, some some of these players, especially Serundolo, I feel like when he won that ATP event in February, like. 
before every single match of his, everyone was saying, no, it, it's impossible that he's going to win again because it simply doesn't make sense. So it, it, it's really... It's really tough to predict sometimes, but but there are there there are also players that you just see them and you instantly know they're they're gonna be great. Uh, I uh, you asked if I had a moment like that this year with any player, mm. yeah, that you know that we don't know or maybe only the tennis hipsters like you are part of that you know uh, okay. <laughs> that league. So is there anyone that you know maybe a larger audience that only follows Grand Slams or Masters one thousands? may not have heard of, or if they have heard of him, they don't know how good is he. Is there anyone this year? Who's the flavor of this year? <laughs> Someone who, who came to mind is Izzy Uh because, well, seeing a player live, I feel like it gives you a lot, a lot better perspective on, on, on their talents and how they play. Uh, and I, I had this moment in Poznan this year at, at the Challenger where he he finished on a wrap actually he he won his challenge the first challenger title just the week before and i've seen him a, a bunch of times on on stream obviously but but this was my 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 first live experience and out of the you know there are many good young czechs not in the top 100 yet i think the only top 100 guy is uh Ishii Vesely at the moment but of these guys uh i think lehechka is probably the one who has the most potential to go really far they were the the czechs were always calling him the next thomas berdick or something i mean it, it, it he's not that tall he doesn't have that that big serve but it sort of makes sense from like a ball striking perspective he's also super athletic uh even even i i saw him live twice this summer i think and even in these two months that uh, that that the, the inter- in the interval he gained a lot of muscle, uh, he was a very good junior as well. He was tenth on the on the ranking list, won uh, Australian Open in doubles, I think. But in general, he he wasn't really listed with these. Uh, well, Jonas Foretek was the was the big junior uh, talent when it comes to the Czech Republic, and he was sort of in the back row. But he's, right now, he's definitely overperforming almost all of his colleagues. He, I think his ranking right now would be like one sixty or something, and I believe he might be in the perfect position to uh, to simply break through to the main tour next year. Uh, that that that's been sort of the. Uh, I don't. I don't know. You know, it's it's pretty random because there are so many of these players that he just came to mind first. But this is a guy whom I I would be strongly surprised if he never got to the top 100 or or maybe even higher. It's it's always very tough to say. You know, uh, what's the difference between a top 50 talent, a top 10 talent? Some of the guys who are who are in the top 10 or top 20 right now, we'd never actually, you know, a couple of years back, we'd never actually guess that. But but I, I I do have a strong feeling that this guy could be huge. And he also has a very good team. He's coached by uh, Michal Navratil, so the, uh, the guy who used to coach Vesely, also a couple of other uh, Czech tennis players, which I obviously can't remember right now, but... Uh, but it, it seems like there's simply a, a good team behind him that's leading his progress very, you know, just in the in the right manner. So how do you say his name? Uh, pardon my lack of knowledge, like so pronounced slowly, so the listeners can also pick it up. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. I, I believe so because you know I I don't know Czech either, but it, it's all the people just nod when I say Izzy So I, I'm assuming that uh, that is how it's pronounced. No, I think it sounded right. So yeah, let's yeah, uh, let's pay attention right. to him. <laughs> let's pay attention to him. So another question I have for you is again, we all have done that, right? So when we look at a player like Alcaraz, uh, you know, he's already made for the big stage. Again, it's a cliche, but you know, he looks like he belongs to the center courts. When he played Sitsipas, then he played a couple of big matches with Murray. Uh, he pushed, I think, Zverev in one of the tournaments recently. So yeah, he has all the goods. So is he ahead of his time, like his age? Is he just, you know, taking fast steps compared to some of the other uh, teenagers that we have seen in the past, like uh, Shapovalo, Fogial Yassim, Sinner, uh, even Rusovori? So how do you compare Alcaraz's rise? Because it looks like, uh, again, things can change. You know, next year he could lose few first rounds in a row and then people say, OK, he's, he's still 19, give him time. But he does look like he's on a fast track to, to the main tour. His ranking has already gone quite high. So uh, what is... Share his progress, you know, what have you seen for the last couple of years? I was really, I, I know you already said you were not surprised, but I was surprised how fast it's going. Probably not so much. I mean, simply because he was 
breaking all these age records from the get-go. Uh, I think it was 2000, uh, maybe 2018 when he played his first ITFs and got to a, to a quarterfinal. So that was when he was 14. Uh, he scored like a massive upset over Federico Gallo. This guy's and was at the time, I feel like uh, a 200 or 300 rated uh, ranked player. Uh, then he got his first uh, challenger win at 15, by the way, over, over Sinner, which was a, a nice uh, you know, match, matchup for the future back then. Uh, I think Sinner was 17 and Alcaraz was 15. And he's definitely been uh, performing much better than, than other players of his age. I mean, even if you look at, I don't know, uh, Rafael Nadal, which he's often compared to just because they're Spanish, like the, the game is nothing alike, obviously. Uh, but uh, even if you look at him, I, he won his fr- uh, first round Garros at like 19, right? I mean, he was almost almost 19, I think. Or maybe just just turned 19, something like that. Yeah, during the uh, tournament, right? Yeah, he, I, I think so. Uh, and, you know, Arcaras is currently, uh, what, 18, man- uh, 18 years and six months. I'm obviously not saying that he's going to win his first slam in, a, in six months because I cannot really know that. But would it really be that surprising looking, uh, looking at his pace of progress? Probably not. Like the, it, even today, I watched his match in, at, the, at the next gen finals over Nakashima. And like he actually got the tougher group where there's Nakashima, there's Rune, and there's uh, Serendolo, I think, who, who isn't much of a factor indoors. But, but I mean, uh, Nakashima and Rune, I certainly didn't expect him to just win, uh, you know, 3 0 against them. I think he's like, clear favorite for the whole event right now and it also comes uh you know he, he never really had much experience indoors as well like I, I think he had eight matches under the roof before starting this event and it was all this year so that this is a player who for the most part like people thought that he was mostly going to be good on clay uh before this year he had barely any matches indoors or hard or, or grass obviously just just the junior slams uh, but uh, you know, but but it seems like the, that his game can uh, can be great in all the conditions. And yeah, to 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 see him at uh, rank thirty two at the moment, I think just totally makes sense for me. Yeah, and then um, I'm sure, like we all live on Twitter, we get get a con- you know information from different accounts. And I mean, you are also one of those accounts. So are you okay when you know the comparisons were there with Nadal, and now people are saying it's you know every player should be held in their own, uh, you know, individual variety, individual form. You shouldn't have comparisons. Then uh, even Alcaraz himself said, I think during the U.S. Open after that, that uh, he doesn't copy anyone, but he somewhat uh, plays similar to Federer, like he's looking to attack on every opportunity. So what is your take? If you didn't know all these, who would you compare him to? Now, of course, we know a lot of stuff, but do you think that was an easy comparison with most media people? Oh, he's like Nadal, he's from Spain, he's a teenager. Did you see that when you were watching him on, on the Challenger Tour? Yeah, I mean, everyone was comparing him to Nadal, which doesn't make sense at all. As I said, <laughs> like in their game, just it's not at all the same. Uh, he was always the one saying that he played like Federer. Uh, I remember when he won his first uh, two-level match at 16, uh, two years ago, I think. Uh, no, that almost two years ago in Rio 2020. Uh, he he was the one saying that he plays more like Federer, but it, as as you said, it's only about the attacking. Now I see a lot of oh. people comparing him to Novak Djokovic. Uh, kind of makes sense, I guess, from the physical aspects, maybe the backhand, maybe. But uh, I I am definitely a fan of not really throwing in the, you know these comparisons around. Although there are some players, and I might sorry because I might skip a few points in your uh, in your notes or, or, or whatever, but uh, Sebastian Baez is a very good example for that because everyone keeps comparing him to Diego Schwartzman. And in the, this yeah. particular case, even though I, uh, you know, I, I, I consider it a lazy comparison, but I've also, I've also used it. I can see why he'd be frustrated at that. I can see why his fans are, but, you know, he's just uh, an Argentinian, not tall, Plays yeah. uh, plays counter punching tennis. Although I think the the main difference is that he's way more reliant on the forehand. He just likes to likes to dictate yeah. with it much more than than Schwartzman does. But uh, that comparison actually makes sense. And I mean, there's there's no there's no way to hide from it. But but it it is. I think it is wise to just let them develop. But it's very natural. I think uh, it's very natural for tennis fans just to 
yeah look at someone and think of 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 a player that came before that played similar tennis yeah and and, and i think i agree because you know like <clears throat> excuse me i think twitter is a tough marketplace because a lot of knowledge say if you stick to tennis twitter a lot of breaking news you know uh, top level analysis independent voices like yourself and so many other voices are there who are you know making the game better but then there's a whole big outside world that follows tennis and they really don't know how twitter operates so i do get like you know even from the media standpoint i won't call it lazy journalism it's okay to throw in comparisons because everybody's looking in every sport who's the next jordan you know who's the next djokovic mm-hmm. right so and and that is okay and if someone is spanish and is a teenager he's wearing sleeveless okay let's make him the next nadal and you know and that's how it goes but uh, it's also i think good to kind of start dissecting these early okay just because he checks the nationality box and the baseline box doesn't mean you know he's rafa or he's novak or he's roger so i think that's a, that's a very good point so <clears throat> let's talk about the the next gen final and some of the players there i think it's a little bit of a different feel because like you already said alcaraz has already arrived he's playing top level tennis he's going to be seated at a slam korda has won you know i think a lot of matches nakashima has made progress but then there's guys like baez and serendulo they they're just there because they're the top 8 you know in that age group but their ranking could be it's it's not going to be like turin like where you know number 7 and 8 are really number 7 and 8 or 8 or 9 in the world where their you know body of work and uh, the kind of year they had is very close by here for example i don't know the ranking but the eighth guy could be ranked maybe you know 209 in the world and the first guy could be 32 so the talent pool is not same but it's a good showcase event so some matches here could be lopsided i mean i just threw that as a do, do you feel similarly um sort of but i feel like if if all the guys had a lot of experience indoors then it would be a pretty even field but uh, alcaraz is probably just a, a bit ahead of the pack obviously serendolo has a hard time uh, bias as well because they played just one match indoors and it's really not where they where their strength lies Uh, it's a it's a similar maybe dilemma to to what's going on with the ATP finals and people saying that maybe it should be played on on clay every once in a while. Uh, in in this field, for example, Nakashima's chances would probably be killed on clay. Uh, I mean, other guys probably not, but but uh, that that's what happens to Serendolo and Baez theoretically. But then again, Baez defeated Musetti yesterday, so. Uh, I don't I don't really feel like there there's been many uh lopsided matches here. Honestly, the the, the more the most lopsided ones were Alcaraz Nakashima and Alcaraz Rune and one could expect that they really wouldn't be uh you know lopsided. I think uh Baez is 111 right now. Okay. He's the he's the last uh, last player that got in. Uh Brosby withdrew so and and Ojalasim and Sinner so he's in reality yeah. the 11th under 21 year old. Yeah, apologies for my, you know, for the, for the listeners and you that I didn't know his ranking, but uh, I think yeah, that's the point I was trying to make. You know, the eight are like spread over like at least seventy or eighty ranking points, uh, and you're you're right. I think the surface can can change things here. Uh, and how about Sebastian Baez? You know, let's let's talk a little more about him. Inform us what he's made of, what he's done to get here. Uh, pretty soon, looks like he's going to be if he's heading in the top hundred soon. He's going to be a name that. all of us will see in main draws at slams and hopefully at other events so just you know uh, let it flow what, what what has he done and what's his road map been so far yeah i mean it, it's pretty much unavoidable probably that he, that we're going to see him on the main tour uh, the golden swing next year should be should be a great opportunity and he's pretty much uh, he, he's been uh, he, you know he's got these points purely because of the challenger tour pretty much uh he's won five and finished runner up in three this year i believe i i have to see that three is correct yes uh it is uh, and he's got some i can't remember the exact data right now but may, maybe i can find it quickly but uh you know he's got some crazy record this year in terms of uh playing challenger events and making finals in there uh like the, the ratio is like eight out of 14 or something like that so he's pretty much been winning everything on the on the challenger tour and it's you know it's it's been uh it's been a very fun ride and you can just clearly see that soon enough he's he's going to be there on the main tour although the 
you know the the opportunities that he's had this year were were kind of scarce. Uh, I think he qualified for Santiago early early in the season, then played uh, free slam qualifyings, but but never. No, he he won two rounds at the U.S. Open, which was kind of surprising because, as I said again, I mean he's literally zero experience, hard indoors grass. But I guess the important uh, thing that I didn't mention is that this also doesn't really come out of nowhere because he was a junior a junior slam champion as well. Uh, he won Ron Garros three years ago, I believe. Uh, no, actually, this is a finished runner-up. Uh, I'm I'm just talking, but but he was he was the um, he was the junior number one, and uh, and you know that that that's not ex- he, ever since like 2018. You could sort of expect that he would progress, but then again, this is one of the players who uh, seems to not have enough weapons to you know to to really to really do it on the main tour. But looking at how he's how he's played this year uh, i i strongly believe that he's gonna be uh in there with a shot even at uh at the south american clay events that we're gonna get in in february or or march next year so that i'm definitely looking forward to to see him progress absolutely so uh, another larger question before i go back to koda and nakashima uh, the tour again, you know, the last fifteen years or so has become very physical. You know, we keep talking about this, you know, and uh, and the growing <clears throat> age of champions are like, uh, of course, big three are the great anomaly. They didn't let anyone else become champions, with the exception of Murray and later on Wawrinka. So, <clears throat> what do you think is the maturation age right now? If you say Alcaraz wins next year, and you won't be totally surprised if he even reaches a major final, well, you think he's exception to the rule, or you think now we are going back to the post big? Three. Of course, Novak is still the best player in the world, but looks like there's some vacancies now with Nadal and Federer, you know, not in the picture, at least for now. Do you think we'll see more younger players break through at slams? Or you still think uh, the road to the titles will go through Medvedev, uh, Zverev and Tsitsipas, along with Djokovic, of course? Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I honestly just consider Alcaraz a freak. Just like with the big three, that that he's just some sort of an exception, that, you know, to 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 nature. Uh, but there, there's been instances when 18-year-olds this year have struggled physically. As you said, this is a sport that's getting a lot more physical. I haven't really uh, noticed that before. Like you, you obviously watched tennis in in the times where Boris Becker won a slam so so early. But I believe with that style, it it probably wasn't so important. You could. Uh, you could simply achieve success earlier, and uh, Holger Rune is a is a is a great example of that because he, for the first half of the season, he was literally cramping in like every single match, every single game that went free. He would have massive physical issues. Right now, it's only happened like once in the in the past couple of months, and co- coincidentally, it was actually the only match uh, that, uh, that that most people watched from him. So the one against Djokovic at the U.S. Open. Uh, but there are there are other players like that. Uh, Jack Draper, for example, who oh, also coincidentally also played Djokovic, played Djokovic this year, but at Wimbledon, he withdrew from like five tournaments this year. Uh, after that match against Djokovic, he didn't, couldn't play for two more months. Uh, the, 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 the physicality is is really a, a huge factor here, and I believe the you know the, the the prime of a tennis player, also the whole career as a tennis player, that these sort of timestamps have have definitely moved and and they're probably also going to be moving or at least staying the same in terms of youngsters. Alcaraz I'm just, I just look at him as a freak. The same the same goes for Luna. I I don't know which one which one of them is older but they're like the the same month or something. No, I think it's very very interesting because you know all sport have gotten older like I follow basketball, cricket and tennis and uh, and even American football, Tom Brady, like players, the champion players are playing way late. And even the non-champion players are more fit and there's more information how to treat your body and how to stay, you know, uh, competitive in all these sports for a long, long time. So that's definitely the case. Uh, I have a weird theory because, you know, when uh, the big three started dominating, the other thing was that the next gen or, you know, the lost gen and then these guys, the Zverev guys, they were struggling to win five-set matches because the tour does not have any five-set matches outside of Grand Slams. So you think now, <clears throat> once the big three era is over, whenever that is, or, or the big one era, because Djokovic is the clear alpha right now. So you think now it'll be more level playing field because all the younger players will not have like the experience of any five sets outside of Grand Slams. Anywhere else, like you know Monte Carlo, Rome, 
Miami, all these were best of five sets not too long ago. So you think now we won't have a slow transition like like what happened to say, it's a big question. I'm trying to give you information. Like what happened to Zverev, who at 17 or 18, or, or sorry, 20, he was winning Masters 1000. And then he could not make inroads at a Grand Slam, you know, because he was struggling. So you think now we'll come into a new era where it'll be more like a level playing field. All these guys will have the same kind of, no one will have an edge when it comes to five sets. If you're fit, if you're good, you manage your schedule better, you have enough weapons, you know, no one will have an edge. So do you see it different, similarly uh, in the next few years? Yeah, I mean, we sort of have to expect, uh, you know, that dominance that, uh, that the big three had to be just a one-off. Like I, I, I'm definitely expecting more uh, different title winners, more different Grand Slam champions. Because looking just at the history of the sport, what these three guys did was absolutely exceptional. And and I, I would expect it, although honestly, these guys like Medvedev, Sverev or Tsitsipas could dominate the sport. But just to achieve that sort of level of dominance is, is probably impossible. But Sverev is a great example because he still hasn't defeated a top 10 player at, um, at the slums, right? And and he's got like, what, eight uh, Masters thousand titles or something like that. He's he's five. been extra five maybe. Yeah, okay, he's been he's been crazy successful in best of three, but no, he cannot still cannot get over that. You know, he still cannot get over that uh, yeah, block that he has. Yeah, yeah. I was chatting with Wunsch, I think, who has his own podcast, and uh, we both were looking at Zverev's numbers. He's zero and ten, but some of those losses are not bad. But then, if he doesn't win a top ten match the numbers will start getting louder because, you know, some of his losses are against Dominic Team and Rafael Nadal at Australian Open and then a few times against, three times against Djokovic, I think. So these are not bad losses, but then he doesn't have a win. So yeah, the, it does get loud if you are world number three or four and you haven't had uh, a top 10 win against uh, in a major. So let's go back to the field in Milan. Uh, how surprised or how relieved are you? What was your take on uh, Sebastian Corda? Is he delivering what you expected? Is he another Alcaraz kind of story, like just came from nowhere. Uh, I know he won a junior Australian Open a few years ago. So give your review on what Koda's, you know, graph has been so far. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Uh, he, he definitely didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, I guess this is one, this is one that I sort of slept on, not in, the, not in the sense that I didn't expect him to go big, but he, all the success he's had this year has sort of caught me off guard. I mean, it's pretty crazy to remember that even at the beginning of the year, he still played uh, a couple of challengers and he, he, he won one very easily, but then, then lost to the first round of, of, the, of another one. And uh, if you told me then that he'd be like, what, 39th? you know 40 41st as he is right now i would definitely be shocked and this is one of the guys also who had a big run at the at the slam it's a sort of a shame that he that he didn't progress further maybe at wimbledon after that his season you know uh, sort of fell apart i would say like the, the the second half of the year is definitely not uh you know not not as successful for him as the as the pretty much the period between parma and wimbledon where uh, but I was very impressed with him at at, at Wimbledon for sure, and that it, it was only well. Again, we we talked about physicality, and and that was definitely a match where that failed him. But there's still uh, there's still a lot of time to to fix these things. I'm glad he played well yesterday against Gaston, because as I mean, as I said, the the, the, the I had some concerns that uh, you know that the last couple of months weren't really great for him and that maybe he's going to have some sort of uh, mental or confidence issues but it doesn't seem to be the case he got a fantastic comeback win against a very tricky player so let's bring in the challenger tour because you are like you have a phd in covering that and i always <laughs> i always ask you what's going on so we all believe right the talent like i've said that the talent is a revolving door anyone who's ranked say 60 or below and could be all the way to 150 or 200. There's not really much separating these players. One or two good weeks, you are in the top 100, and then you know you can stay there. And the level basically is very close. But is there the follow-up question here? Is uh, given you know how big the tour is in the main in the top 100 versus the Challenger Tour? Uh, if someone plays, let's say, 40 matches on Challenger Tour, and he has like two good weeks, and he's in the top 100, like Karasev is a classic example. You think there's they'll be getting used to period when you start playing the main tour, because some say the top fifty and top forty that's a big step up talent wise. 
So what happens to a player? And Karatsa, we can use a good example who had like such an entry to the tour and then the resetting starts and, you know, he started losing few. He's still playing okay. It's not like he's playing bad. I think he won what, more than 35 matches this year, if I'm not mistaken. But to use his example as a use case and talk about what, you know, what you notice when someone has a late resurgent uh, on the Challenger Tour and then comes to the main tour. So what is the big difference of staying there? This this year it's been actually very tough for them because still still the ranking freeze is in effect. And we've had the, the big story of the Challenger Tour this year is two guys that were first tying, then one of them breaking the record for most uh, Challenger titles in a single season. It was Benjamin Bonzi at first and then Tom Griggsport broke it last week uh, with seven. And honestly, I believe that part of that is and that, that, that the ranking freeze pretty much forced them to keep uh, to, to stay on the Challenger Tour longer than they would usually be. And we, especially in the case of Bonzi, it's, it's clearly been a big struggle for him to translate that to the main tour. Honestly, at this point, I don't even know if it's you know, what else can it be than a mental block, because it's, it's been evident all year. He, he would play fantastic stuff in Challengers and then go to a French event at first, but then also to, to other ones and keep losing matches that he would usually be expected to win on the with the form that he's had on, on the Challenger Tour. Uh, you, you mentioned Karatsev, who I guess he's actually done pretty fine. Like the, the summer wasn't great, but I think the, just looking at the seasons he, he's had, I think he's got to be satisfied with this. But it, it, it's probably a case of uh, at, at some points, it's tougher to actually break through to the main tour than to stay there later, maybe. Uh, the, uh, an example that I have in mind is Botik van der Zandskulp, who's, you know, people who don't really follow the Challenger Tour or ITFs, I think they, they sort of have him as some sort of a prodigy that must have been uh, must have been winning challenger events uh, like you know 10 in a row or whatever because he had that one big breakthrough at the US Open but he he jumped like 90 ranking spots right but this guy actually has just one challenger title and it's not like he's been extremely dominant uh, but then again he, he he doesn't he doesn't really seem to have that sort of uh, you know sort of struggles after breaking through uh, he, he he's done absolutely fine. I, I honestly I expected him to to sort of have that sort of a lull, but uh, but ever since uh, ever since that U.S. Open uh, quarterfinal, he's been he's been great again. Uh, Saint Petersburg semis, right? Uh, right now in Stockholm, I think he's also in the in the in the quarterfinals. And it, maybe at times it's simply so tough to break through that a lot of the players, if given a chance like him they'd actually be, still be winning matches on the main tour. And, and it's probably, you know, he, he's not any sort of a, uh, I, I, I have a lot of respect for the guy, obviously. It's the, I don't mean to uh, diminish his achievements, but I believe there are many other players who, given the, the sort of chance that he had, would have also uh, got, got there and then, and then stayed with relative success. So again, a question that's coming at a very basic level. So pardon my lack of knowledge here. But is the Challenger Tour also, uh, what's the distribution of surfaces? I see there's always four, five, six tournaments now because of the pandemic. Probably that's a little more than norm, right? The more, more tournaments every week. So what's the surface that's, that rules the Challenger Tour? Is it usually clay or is it hard? What, what Have you noticed that? Uh... I would say there are, there is more clay than on the main tour. I believe I might have the stats in uh, in one of my pieces. Like I, I did, did like a review, so I'm quickly looking for that. Uh, but uh, I believe there is more clay. Like there, almost every week, there's a clay event. In the summer, is a lot of a lot of the dirt uh, indoors, obviously in in the in the season. Uh, there's there are also like, a few carpet and grass ones, but you know not enough to even uh, even even have them as a topic but yeah 2020 was obviously a weird year because uh, there was a big break in the middle but there were 33 hard court events 17 outdoor 16 indoor and 24 clay ones oh. uh, and i think i might also have the the stats for uh, for 2019 uh, which would be a much better representation obviously because there were like 150 uh, 150 challengers that year um 
and and, and last uh, last year there was a, there there obviously weren't that many. Yes, uh, in 2019 there were 87 hardcore ones and 65 clay. So you know more clay than on the main tour, but in general it's it's fairly similar. Hard. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's come back to you know uh, Korda, but and we also talked a name last year was Nakashima. You actually brought him to my attention. So how has his progress been? Uh, uh, are you still be, uh, you know are you still backing his hype because I like his game? Has he disappointed, or are you still give him a couple more years on the tour to make a verdict like where his ranking or where, what his ceiling is going to be like? Yeah, I mean uh, he definitely hasn't disappointed. I think the the rate of progress is is sort of. Uh, what you could expect, but then again, you you, ne- you can never really be sure. Uh, he's, uh, I mean, I, I still love his game. I think we talked last year about him. Mean, probably I, because since you since you're saying that uh, you brought him to uh, that that I brought him to your attention, but I remember talking about his backhand a lot. Uh, uh, he's gotten more effective at killing these short balls with the forehand that used to be an issue. The return is obviously great. For a lot of these uh, next-gen guys, and I guess that is also a sort of a trend, uh, the serve is a liability at first, uh, which everyone kind of expects that it will be easily exploited on the main tour. Uh, I'm talking of Nakashima, I'm talking of Alcaraz, I'm talking of Bruceby even, but it's getting more and more clear that the serve is actually the shot that is very easily improvable at this age uh, and even at the next gen finals like Alcaraz has been broken once against Nakashima and Rune uh, I think Rune even, even didn't have a break point and the serve just for for every single one of these guys it's just simply easy to improve and it, it's not that much of a of an issue if your serve is kind of subpar at first. Uh, and I, I, I'm definitely uh, not surprised by how, how good Nakashima has been this year. Did I expect him to mo- do more? Probably not. I think he also has to... Well, maybe the, the US Open campaign was fairly disappointing where he lost to Molchan in the second round. But then again, a couple of major finals. Uh, we definitely mentioned last year when we talked about him, we also definitely mentioned mental toughness in general. And it's... It's been just the same as on the Challenger Tour. I also, uh, like comparing to what I said about Lehechka, I also think Nakashima is very well led. I don't know if it's his influence or if, or if it's actually the coach or the team. But uh, what, what makes me say that is how last year he would, well, he had zero clay court experience pretty much. And even despite that, like he had a couple of early, very poor losses. He still played these weeks. Pat Cash was his coach at the time, so like, why would you, why would you go with him to to clay court events? But actually, it was a, it was a great decision because he got all that experience that is gonna be very beneficial for him in the in the years to come. Because if you're a main tour player, and I'm assuming that he's not gonna fall off uh, quickly. Uh, then, you know, on the Challenger Tour, you can sort of, because there are more events, 150, there, there aren't that many weeks when there's just clay. So you can sort of juggle between, uh, you know, you can just go to different hardcore events, mostly just skip the weeks that are all clay maybe. But if you're on the main tour, then these three, mo- three months of the year, that's what you have to play. And that's that decision to, despite not knowing anything about the surface, that decision to to keep playing it last year, I believe, is paying off for him already. It's the last name here that I want to talk about is Lorenzo Musetti again, a name that has a lot of hype, and he backed the hype. You know, he has a good-looking game, and he's part of the Italian brigade. You know, full of talent there. So, where did this guy come from, and you know, what is your ceiling for him? I mean, for the, he played a first full year last year. He came in Rome and I think he beat Nishikori, right? Is that true? Yes, Nishikori and Vavrinka. Yeah. He got like yeah, six so... top 100 wins in two weeks <laughs> last year. Yeah. Uh, which was which was kind of probably the, the big breakthrough at, uh, at Challengers and, and at tour level also because Rome. Uh, but he's also a junior slam champion. Uh, that would be 2019, I think. Yeah, he played Emilio Nava and they, they actually repeated that match at the US Open this year uh, in, the, in the pro event, obviously. Um, Musetti... I mean, first, I once made a very outrageous claim that he was going to be better than Sinner. Uh, I kind of want to go to that tweet and delete it right now <laughs> because I feel like in, in, in a couple of years, someone will find it and maybe it's not going to turn out to be true. Uh, uh, his progress has been, has been good this year also, but then again, the, the second half of the year is pretty much lost. 
uh, he seems to be struggling with some sort of mental issues. Uh, he had a tough breakup with his girlfriend as well, which seems to have influenced his his game in a uh, in, in in not a good manner, obviously. Uh, but but that there were definitely some uh, some moments like the, when he led Djokovic uh, by two sets at the at, at the French Open. Uh, and, uh, you know, with him, it's also a matter of uh, getting to know how to play on other surfaces. He's doing fine on the hard courts that are slow, uh, like Acapulco. He defeated Schwartzman, I think, then, then Tiafos or something like that. Uh, also Miami, he, he had a good run. Uh, but he seems to just really struggle when whenever it's quick, uh, when you can when someone can rush him. He's got that, you know, that very long wind up on on the forehand and and the backhand, and Milan something is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, something similar to what Dominic Team had in, in the earlier yep. part of his career, right? Yep. So uh, so why wh- so why do you want to go back and delete that tweet? Because Sinner last year himself said that, or this year that Mosetti is going to be better than me again. Of course, really? friends are uh, I didn't together. I didn't see that. Yeah. I saw that somewhere. Yeah. In some interview, when Musetti came, he said he's going to be even Italy. They were, they asked him about Italian tennis, and uh, I wish I could find it, but I re- remember reading it somewhere that he said Musetti is going to be even better than me. So you think it, could it be the case of Musetti's game is going to take a lot longer to mature as it's with a lot of one-handers? Is that is that a perception you believe that two-handed games mature quickly? Could because be. Because look at Shapovalov, you know, we still in that. You know, maturation period. You know, he takes two steps forward and then he loses five matches in a row. So we can't make up our mind. Of course, I think he he can put it together. I'm talking about Shapovalov, but uh, why do you want to go back and delete the tweet about Musetti? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe not so much, but it's simply how how impressed I've been with Sinner this year. Uh, but then again, maybe in a in a weird way, Sinner's game is actually a bit easier to perform as well. Like he has a much clearer game plan than Musetti, who sort of needs to rely on the on the variety, maybe on the shot making as well. Uh he just has more obvious weapons, which is which is just probably easier to I mean Shapovalov even uh, he, obviously he's still in that maturation period trying to trying to work out the balance between being overly aggressive and, and actually, you know, making consistent shots. But he was also a very early bloomer. So I, um, maybe in a, in a way, uh, it's actually simply easier for these guys with obvious ways to win, win points than Musetti. And maybe the second part of this season is actually what we're seeing when, when that's confidence, when that mental game isn't there. But he's still obviously doing very fine. Uh, he had a good run in, in, in Paris now. Uh, but but for a while, he was like on a, uh, I can't remember, like six-match lo- losing streak or something like that. Uh, but once Clay <laughs> rolls around, obviously, next year, that's hopefully he's going to be able to leave those issues behind him for that time. All right, so we're coming up for time. So last question. Uh you know, on the main tour, you know, there were a lot of players who made steady improvement. Hercats continued to grow. Oji Alessim had a good season. He didn't win a title. Kasper Ruud absolutely came into his own. You know, he also started playing good on hard courts. If there were three, four names, not these guys, who did you, who were your big stories of the guys who really improved a lot, no matter, you know, what the ranking is, or it could be someone ranked 70 in the world. Who are some of the guys, if you look back at this year, who made the biggest strides? Yeah, uh, I I just talked about Sinner honestly. The the especially the last uh, couple of months, the indoor period, he's been insane. It looks like the slower slower indoor conditions are, are what he's best at. Like honestly, uh, it's a shame he's not going to to Turin. Maybe maybe he's gonna be there as an alternate, but um, you know then likely play one match or two. But honestly, like out of the out of the field there. If there's someone who could win it that's not named Djokovic, Zverev, Medvedev, then Sinner would be my bet. If there was an indoor slam, I'd be all over that That as a dark horse pick as well. Uh, Cameron Norrie, obviously, is someone who we would absolutely never expect. Uh, I, I remember people were saying that Norrie is like the, the worst player to ever get to top 100. Uh, maybe I wasn't so harsh on him, but it was really hard to see the player that he is right now in him. And it's fantastic that he got that big reward uh, at Indian Wells. Uh, seven main tour finals this year, I think, which is 
before this year, he never he never had an, uh, a title for sure. I think he had one final. So so that's you know in in terms of most improved, that's that's probably someone who could and probably should win this award. Honestly, maybe Karatsev as well because you know it's been uh, like eleven months since the Australian Open. <laughs> Uh, and honestly, I, I just keep forgetting that this was this year as well. I'm so used to seeing Aslan Karatsev as a top player right now, rank 15 in the world. And I'm so used to this that I actually keep forgetting that, well, the, the breakthrough was in the Czech Challengers in, in August last year, then, then St. Petersburg and all. But the real breakthrough where people found out about him was Australian Open. And he just feels very natural as a, as a top player right now, and I I'm I'm definitely you know, it, it's a it's a great thing. He as you said about Alcaraz, he seems like he belongs there, even though he's 27 or something, 28 right now even, and never actually you know made he, before before this year he was never even in the in the top 100. But when you when you watch him, he he definitely belongs there. Lloyd Harris as well. He's done, uh, so, you know, it's such an improvement compared to how I remember him from the Challenger Tour playing days, for example, the, the the sort of mental hiccups that he used to have. He was just not not consistent in the way of making shots. But I mean, he, he could play for at a very high level for an extended period of time. But then, you know, then there would come there would be that sort of a, uh, you know, a, a break where he simply couldn't. Uh, put the ball in court if if someone watching him right now thinks he he's got these issues then really it, it, it used to be completely different and that the, just the amount of uh, top 20 top 10 top 30 wins on hard courts this year that he that he got is absolutely super impressive and he's he also seems like a guy who you know who could stay there who could stay around that uh, top 30 rank all right, so let's end this podcast about a personal question. One of my favorite players in the last 14 years has been Ernest Gilbis. <laughs> so he's 300-something he's now. So what is the roadmap for someone like him? Because that ranking, I don't see him getting into many challenger events unless there's a Grand Slam going on in second week and there are like five challenger events. Because uh, what, is, what is a roadmap for someone like a 300? How patient that person has to be? One, to get the opportunities to get into these events and then of course make him count. If you get in and don't win, then it doesn't help at all. <laughs> Probably more patient than Gulbis is. <laughs> there, there are these guys who are always sort of in the talks about like if they decline rapidly, then they might actually you know, not continue playing tennis because they don't seem to... Martin Klijan was one that retired this year. I think he was even younger than, than Gulbis and still ranked like, you know, Gulbis is currently 194. So it's not that bad yet. Obviously, he no, pretty much has frozen. He's three hundred twelve or something in the race. Ah, uh, in, in the race, yes, because he pretty much has done nothing this year. Yeah. Uh, right now, uh, ever since the challengers got to back to five events, uh, challenger qualifying, you can pretty much there. There are events when you can get almost without no ranking or or as an alternate. Like when when, when there are many in the week, uh, the qualifying is actually not that popular. So. It, you know the doors are open if he wants to. Uh, it's gonna be really hard though if he drops down. I don't know, to 400, 500. I've been I've been watching quite a bit of ITF tennis as well this year, and like the the sheer amount of wins that you need to get, yeah. that you need to amass there to to break through. It's it's absolutely crazy. Uh, there's this guy, for example, uh, Franco Agamemnone, who is 28, 28 years old. And during the first half of the season, he won 59 uh, matches on the ITF tour. And he like he broke through, but there are so many great uh, ITF players. I, I simply believe that it's very hard to break through to challengers without a challenger run, which is kind of ironic. But it's, it's the challengers that give you these points. You've got two, uh, how to call it, categories of ITF events. Uh, so ITF 25Ks and 15Ks. And I believe they should at least give the points, you know, 25 for a 25K. And right now it's 20 for a 25K and 10 for a 15K. And it's simply not enough. It, it makes it makes the journey of a, of a pro player extremely tough to just, that, just to get to these challenger events. And, and obviously, uh, 
I can't remember what I what I wanted to say else, but I mean, for 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 the lowest category challenger, it's eighty points for winning and like twenty nine, for example, for uh, twenty nine for the semi. So to to get to the semi, you need to you need to win three matches. And sometimes on on the ITF tour, you if you start from the qualies, you're gonna have to play eights to to get ten points, and it doesn't even make your ranking that much better. But there's been a, a great introduction this year. Uh, that was the Challenger 50 format, which is sort of like a gateway between uh, between the uh, between the ITF tour and uh, you know and, and, and challengers, and I, I feel like it's it's really the the step in the right direction. Uh, we've already seen some some great players break through there. For example, Zizou Bergs uh, won the I think he won the first Challenger 50 event in in Saint Petersburg. Uh, Zdenek Kolaj won his first Challenger there, and then went on to win two more. Uh, the regular ones, not the 50s. He won uh, the, the the one of the biggest challenger events there is uh, at 125 in Szczecin, for example. Uh, so th- there's been there's there's really been great players who you know, that that sort of challenge, that challenger 50 format allowed them to uh, grab that first title, get more confidence, and then succeed uh, on the on the regular tour, so to speak. There's also going to be a few more, I think, in, in in Antalya, and this is this is an introduction uh, an introduction that I that I really enjoy and and think it's 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 right for the tour simply to simply make that transition easier. No, that's uh, that's some great information, and uh, yeah, I learned a few things. Hopefully, you know this uh, this kind of introduction stay there, and you know it's a better segue uh, for mm-hmm. the. To come into the main tour, uh, yeah, uh, and again, uh, Gulbis too. I think uh, I, I'm surprised he's still playing, you know, but that shows like he wants to be a player. I've talked about this on many episodes every now and then. You know, he comes from money, and a lot of us thought like he won't last this long, but he's still going out there without a sponsorship and still trying, you know, to get into the top hundred. He's, it's, I think he said somewhere, if he doesn't get to top hundred, next year is going to be his last year. So let's see mm-hmm. what he does. Anyway, thank you kindly for coming on the podcast on such a short notice. It was a fun, fun episode. Hopefully have you back next year talking about some of the other exciting names. So if you don't follow him, I don't think you need a plug-in for me, but, you know, Damien Coos is one of the best followers out there on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, uh, looking forward to producing more episodes with him and others in the future. And Tennis Will, please keep listening to Tennis with an Accent. Thank you, Damien. Thank you. 